right now, you're listening to Real Texas Radio with your host, Bronin. This is for the taxpayers who don't get anything. Your Texas local and national news. Welcome to the show. Today, we are going to talk about the newly hired superintendent of Dallas ISD. Her name is Stephanie Elizalde, and she has a history in Dallas, actually. She was the school's chief for a number of years before she departed to Austin ISD for stint as superintendent there. She joined Austin ISD back in August of 2020, so smack dab in the middle of the so-called pandemic. And she made a salary of $334,000, which is twice the governor's salary, the governor of Texas. And she was given a car allowance, $750 a month, and she had a $15,000 per year pension contribution by the district and her contract was actually extended late last year in October. It was supposed to be a two-year contract and it was extended to four years and apparently Austin spent six months, the school board in Austin spent six months finding a replacement for their outgoing superintendent in order to find this woman, Stephanie Elizalde. And now it appears they're going to be spending how many more months finding their next superintendent. And apparently there there was a little bit of controversy. They overlooked this woman. Her name is Nicole Connolly, and she was the chief of finance and business operations for AISD. But she didn't have an education background, but she'd been around for a long time. And apparently they didn't even give her a courtesy call. This is a black woman. And so she resigned once uh, Elizalde was chosen. So the outgoing superintendent of DISD, Michael Inahosa, has been around for a long time. In total, he's served 13 years as superintendent. And I think he was a good guy. But the position of superintendent, it is notorious for being, it's, it's a very tough job. You know, in a sense, it's like being the president. If there is a school shooting, God forbid, or there are weapons on campus, and especially in a large urban district like Dallas, or there's an inappropriate student-teacher relationship, anything at all, it is reflected back to the superintendent. And so they burn out quickly, or a lot of them, if you dig into them, they bounce around from district to district and sometimes from big district to bigger district. And they make these huge salaries, these presidential salaries, and they get all kinds of perks. You know, they they do a lot better up in New England or the Northeast or in California but 334,000 bucks to be the Austin ISD superintendent plus perks. Hey, that's not too bad. And Dallas has, it's a much larger school district. I believe that the student population 
would be about double that of Austin. I wonder how much she's going to bag here. Anyway, something very interesting that I read about her is she and her husband, they just sold their house a few weeks ago in Dallas. So she had always had it as her plan to come back to Dallas. She she knew that she was going to be superintendent or she knew that she would be in contention for the job. She probably left because she didn't know how long Hosa was going to hang around for in Dallas. But the Austin ISD school board, they obviously, they didn't tap into that after spending six months looking for this woman. And she left as soon as she could. For Dallas ISD, it appears that her most attractive feature is that she turned around 43 failing schools. She got the number down to four. She was the chief of schools in in Dallas ISD, and that's quite impressive. And in Austin, because she wasn't there for very long, and she was there largely during the so-called pandemic, her school district, just like most school districts in the country, they threw out any kind of metrics or rating systems that they had in place because it was declared a disaster. From what I can tell, she didn't preside over any major disasters or scandals. They're just like everywhere else, there's teacher burnout and vacancies in Austin. So she did have to deal with that. Apparently she did cut quite a bit of staff in in the central office. So depending on on your views, maybe that's a good thing. But it seems like her most notable accomplishments were reinstating the mask mandate after Governor Abbott said that COVID was over in the state last year. But of course, you're not going to depend on the school systems for any kind of sensibility in that regard. And she also made the news for coming out in support of Pride Week and uh, supporting the LGBTQIA students in the district, again, in the face of some maybe unsupportive Republican leaders in the state of Texas. So those are the kind of woke moves that certainly an urban blue school district would be looking for in leadership. Earlier this year, there was a minor scandal in Dallas, the school board of trustees, apparently they hired two search firms, two talent search firms to hire a superintendent or to go out and find candidates. And first they landed on JG Consulting, which is a large talent search firm, which has helped large school districts find superintendents. And then there was some dissent Apparently, some of the board members, they wanted to go with a smaller local minority-run search firm. And so then they ended up hiring another firm. And ultimately, so we we had two firms. I'm not sure how much they were paid for their work. And then they ended up just going back into the Rolodex and hiring a woman who obviously wanted the job in the first place. She didn't sell her house in Dallas. And so that was easy, big nationwide search. In any case, there are certainly a lot worse places you could end up as an educator than DISD. I myself taught in the 
district for four years. And the pay, it's not bad. It's definitely better now than it was a few years ago. And most of the kids I had were great. Of course, now it's a tougher environment perhaps than ever in many respects for teachers. If you pay attention to the news at all, you see stories about how kids in general have just had a very difficult time readjusting to the classroom after the nonsense that they dealt with, that they were forced to deal with over the last couple of years. Now in Dallas, the kids returned to in-person learning pretty quickly in comparison to states like uh, New York and Massachusetts, where I am from originally. I've read actually in Boston now, there's all kinds of insanity going on in the schools from finding guns on kids in one of the high schools. A parent showed up at a school and flashed a gun recently. And the students all over the district were issued Chromebooks. And apparently several students have hit other students over the head with Chromebooks. One kid needed stitches. But that's what school is nowadays. You know, you stick a kid on a laptop. There's no reading going on whatsoever. Any kind of silent reading, it's looked upon as very bad. You can't give any homework. It's definitely not reading. There's just no reading going on. And the, the reading level among kids today, it is so poor. They can't read a news article and have any, any kind of analytical thought about it. Many kids in many states, including Texas, they need to get like a 50 or a 60% on these state tests, the state reading and writing test, in order to pass it. Just 50 or 60% will pass them. Many kids can't even achieve that basic level. And then for the other subjects, it's much lower. It, the reading and writing has a much higher bar, or at least it did when I was teaching. On the biology and the math, kids could score, I think somewhere around 30 or 40% in order to pass. But you can't compete, not with the cell phones. You can't compete with TikTok if you're an educator. You can't compete with Instagram. That's all they want to do. That's all a lot of adults want to do, as a matter of fact. I taught for seven years in total. I spent my first three years in another state in an urban school district. But I, I left for a few reasons. Ultimately, I, I could have stayed in the job. It, it wasn't burnout, and I'd made it past the threshold that three to five years when most teachers who enter the profession quit. But I, I stayed in, and I, I, like I said, there was a number of reasons, but one of the things that I hated were the classes in the high schools. They were 90 minutes, and actually one of the classes was, it was closer to two hours each day. And keeping kids' attention for 90 minutes and repeating the same lesson for 90 minutes, and especially if you had to do it at the end of the day, if your class started around like after 2.30, 3 o'clock, nobody is learning reading or writing at, at 3 o'clock after a full school day. Nobody is doing math. It's, it's complete burnout. Every kid should be in a, in a specialist. They should be in football, basketball, yoga, ballet, dance, Knitting, music, whatever, Rubik's Cube, something. There shouldn't be, if, if you're going to have kids come in at 9 in the morning, they should not be 
still in a core subject at the end of the day, especially one that they need to pass a state test in. Anyway, thank you for listening. I'm Bronin. This is Real Texas Radio Podcast.